0: Welcome Welcome to to We Need Need to to Talk talk About about Tech, tech. Uh, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. So, this is our first episode back from our mid-season break. Uh, Got 10 episodes that we released, decided, you know, rest on our laurels for a bit. Hopefully we can get 10 more, (laughs) but... And, uh, yeah, now we're back, back in action, back in the studio, the metaphorical
1: studio. In, uh, this week's episode, we talk about, uh, some upcoming phones, uh, that might be on the more budget side. We go over the PS5
0: teardown and we talk about the upcoming Apple event. All right. On to our rapid fire session. We're talking about... The recently, I guess, revealed Google Pixel 5 and the 4A with 5G. We're going to talk about the OnePlus 8T, which hasn't officially come out yet. And then the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition phone.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, three kind of really interesting phones because they're all three going to be like uh, more on the budget side. Um, I think the, the Google Pixel it's probably going to be the most expensive of the three, even though it seems to have the worst specs. But um yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think a while ago we were talking about the OnePlus Nord and the fact that it wasn't coming out in a lot of markets like the United States. And the idea that they would probably come out with a more high-end version of that phone, maybe like a 9T, um, that would be... A little, a little bit more expensive than the Nord, but would probably cater more towards that, uh, that Western market. And right as the rumors of that phone started to come out, Samsung kind of just surprised everyone by bringing out the, uh, or announcing the Galaxy Fan Edition, which I believe was originally announced for uh, around $600, $700. And then the moment it came out, all or most retailers were dropping it by 100 $100. So, yeah, it's, like, some really kind of interesting phones that have come out recently. Um, Have you got a chance to see any of these phones, and uh, do any of them kind of uh, pique your interest, especially with iPhones coming out soon? Uh, I guess I got to take a
0: bit of a look at the Google Pixel 5 and the S20 Fan Edition. They seem Mm -hmm. like good phones, and, yeah, it's, it's weird that the Pixel 5 is the more expensive out of these phones, and it has, like, the screen isn't as big. It's not as fast of a refresh rate. The processor isn't as good. The battery isn't as big. But, yeah, it's kind of a weird spot that it sits in. Um, the F, yeah, the S20 FE seems like a very good phone. And it seems like a very yeah. good phone for the price especially. But it's kind of weird that... Well, it's not weird. It's just the way the timing works. The iPhone event... Is happening tomorrow. We are recording this on the 12th. The the new iPhones are supposed to be. Announced and revealed on the 13th. Um, What's also weird. So the OnePlus 8T. Hasn't officially been revealed yet. It's supposed to be revealed. On the 14th. So the day after the iPhones. So just kind of. It's unlucky that. I guess these phones are out. Around the same time as the iPhone. Because it seems like it's. Whenever the iPhone comes out, it seems like that's all anyone is going to be talking about, right? Yeah. They're just going to be talking about whatever Apple is doing, and the OnePlus phone isn't going to have its real, real chance, I guess, to build up any sort of hype around it. And same thing with the S20. whatever, Whatever kind of, I guess, hype and excitement the S20 FE was building up, It's just going to be completely wiped out after the Apple event. Although, you know, Android, Apple, not everybody is so comfortable switching from Android to Apple like that, but it's yeah. Nevertheless, it's not going to be as much people as many people talking about this phone after the Apple event.
1: It's it's I think more and more becoming true in that case because We're seeing, especially as Apple finally starts and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but as Apple finally starts to get phones that are a little bit better priced, um, like they did that with the SE um, and, uh, you know, hopefully they start doing that more going forward. But it's a lot easier nowadays to switch from Android to Apple than, you know, it's ever been to switch from Apple to Android. Uh, we've had this conversation before. You've uh, recently, you know, started using a a Pixel phone, and there's a lot of things about the iPhone that you just would prefer to have available to you, even though you do really like Android phones. And you know, I've seen the exact opposite with people in my family, where they've used Android phones pretty much their their entire time with a smartphone. They they like Android phones, and they recently got an iPhone, and it's like it's a very easy step because when you're on Android. You know, one of the biggest upsides is there's so much variation to the apps that you can use, but that's also a downside because you rarely ever get locked in to one particular set of apps that you have to have. Usually you can adjust um, from phone to phone. Whereas when you're in Apple uh, in the Apple ecosystem and you have that phone, it's very difficult to say, I'm gonna break away from those Apple apps and move to something completely different. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the, the specs. So for example, the Pixel 5, is uh, a six-inch phone, just around 1080p, uh, 2340 by 1080, and it has the Snapdragon 765. Now, the the rumor specs of the OnePlus 8T and the revealed specs of the Galaxy S20 FE um, are both using the the more high-end chips. So, for example, the Snapdragon 865 um, and the the interesting thing there is that both of the the phones with the 865, the OnePlus, and the Samsung phone are cheaper than the uh, Pixel 5. And I think the only thing going for the Pixel 5 that kind of puts it above those other two phones um, is one, if you like a smaller phone, because it's gonna be the smaller of the three, uh, as far as we can tell. Um, and two, it's gonna be the only one of these phones that has a metal build it's still kind of unknown what 100% the 8T is gonna be made out of, but chances are much like the Galaxy FE, um, the fan edition, that's what FE stands for, they're probably gonna be made from a little bit more plastic materials. Um, And the one really interesting thing about uh, the Pixel 5 is for a lot of times when people talk about why a lot of phones switched from metal construction or aluminum construction to plastic and glass, was for wireless charging and this pixel 5 even though it is said to be made of aluminum does have wireless charging Um, so i'm wondering how they do that if they maybe cut out a part of the aluminum and then put a plastic coating over top the aluminum to kind of let that wireless charging get through Um, they've done stuff like this in the past the same with lg where they've put a plastic coating over aluminum um, to give it a nicer texture and you can see on the on the Pixel 5 that there is a textured kind of pattern on it. But yeah, it's it's really interesting with these phones how with and I think this is a direct response to what Apple's gonna do. I think a lot of these phones are kind of undercutting the flagships, so you know, the six ninety nine and five ninety nine price tag um to kind of compete with Apple's upcoming devices.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say so. And the thing that's also interesting too not so much for Google, but for the other two, right? For OnePlus and Samsung. They have their flagship phones. They have their thousand, you know, $1,200 phones. And now they've kind of released this as their, I guess the more budget friendly model. Same thing like what iPhone did. They had their flagship phones, the 11s, 11 Pros, 11 Pro Max, and then they released the iPhone SE as a more budget friendly option for people. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting to see that, you know, as they're kind of pushing technology as far as they can with let's say the Samsung Note 20 Ultra, they're still I not obviously not taking all of the technology, but they're still taking some of the technology like the 120 hertz screen, the Snapdragon eight sixty five, and putting it in their more consumer friendly phones. At a more consumer-friendly price, also.
1: Yeah, and I think that price is going to be the sweet spot because I think we've spoken about this before. The five to seven hundred dollar price point used to be the flagship price point. Like even new iPhones used to come out at that in that price point. Um, obviously, those prices have exploded in the in the past few years, where above a thousand dollars is now where the most expensive phones are. But I think a lot of people are starting to realize um, that the thousand dollar phone is great but most people don't need that much out of their phone. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, when they saw the the iPhone SE, the new one, uh, and saw how much it could do for them for such a, a smaller amount, I think it kind of opened people's minds up to say, okay, maybe that new, very expensive phone isn't what I need. Sure, if, if I want to get it, and I'm only planning on upgrading a phone maybe every four years or something like that. Great. Get it. But if for a lot of people who upgrade their phones on contract cycles where it might be every one or two years, um, that, that cheaper phone might be a better, better buy for them because it's like, okay, well they're going to get the new one in two years anyways. So it doesn't really need to last them that long. But a- another interesting thing from the pixel, uh, five event was like you mentioned, there is the pixel 4 a 5g, once again, um, it, this podcast, we, we get a lot of products with terrible names. And this is uh, one of the worst names, especially if it's going to be right alongside side the Pixel 5, then you're going to have a Pixel 4a 5G. I don't know. It's, <laughs> I don't know what Google is thinking. But it kind of makes that phone not make much sense, honestly. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Because now we have the Pixel 4a, Pixel 4a 5G, and the Pixel 5, all in a very narrow kind of price range between the three of them
0: yeah it doesn't make much sense to me to have the pixel 4a the 4a with 5g the pixel 5 and i think we kind of mentioned this before if you were to look at a phone right usually it's okay whichever the bigger phone is is going to be the more expensive one that's just kind of how it goes you know you go like the iphone what is it, 11, 11 Pro, 11 Pro Max. As the phones get bigger, typically they get more expensive, right? Um, mm-hmm. The Pixel 5 has a six-inch screen. The 4A 5G has a 6.2-inch screen. So you think, okay, it's a bigger screen. Usually it's more expensive. No, it's not more expensive. You look at the the Pixel 5 has a 90-hertz screen the 4a5g just has a 60 hertz screen so another reason why it's not as expensive you say okay it's a bigger phone well that means you can fit a bigger battery in it but it still has a smaller battery size than the 5 than the pixel 5 which also yeah. doesn't make any sense so it's kind of like you have this bigger you know dimensions for your phone you have a bigger screen but why not okay fit a bigger battery into it right It doesn't like it's still compared to the 4A. The 4A with 5G is bigger and definitely more expensive. Mm -hmm. So the Pixel 5, $700. The 4A with 5G, $500. The 4A is $350. So pretty Mm -hmm. much for a hundred extra $150 US, you're getting slightly bigger screen and 5G. It doesn't really seem, on like it's worth, that big of a price jump to me. It seems like it's very much in the middle of the two phones, and mm-hmm. the price is a lot closer to the Pixel Five. It's a lot more expensive than it should be, especially since they're giving it that same 4A title.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I think it, I completely agree, and I think what makes it even more kind of senseless in terms of these three phones is that for the most part, the internals are, are nearly identical. So the 765 or 765 G in these three phones and six or eight gigabytes of RAM in these three phones. So it, it's other than the 5G, um, aspect of these, of these devices, the size is, is a little bit of a differentiating factor, but for the most part design wise spec wise, they're so similar that i feel like if they just picked two made those two got the price point that they wanted maybe a 4a that was you know and then uh, a five uh just have them at different sizes and whatnot that would have been five it would have made more sense to have a five and a 5a you know have a cheaper version instead of calling it the 4a just call it the 5a um and then have a five it would have made so much more sense Uh, really the three didn't really need to be there but, um, you know, another thing that they did uh, talk about in that conference, um, and I think it was the last kind of interesting thing. They had a few products, but uh, one of the things that really stuck out for me uh, was the new Chromecast with Google uh, TV. Um, did you get a chance to see this at all?
0: No, I didn't get to look into it too much.
1: So this is really interesting. Um, it, do You use a Chromecast, uh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I do too, and I think it's great. Um, it's really simple and easy to use. But the one thing that always frustrated me about the Chromecast is, let's say my phone was in another room charging, um, or I didn't have like a tablet or something to cast from, it's almost useless. Uh, you can use a Google Home and ask it to put something on your TV, but a lot of times it doesn't know what you really want, especially if you're looking for something specific. So with this new uh, uh, Chromecast with Google TV, it comes with a remote, it comes with an OS on it, so you can actually have apps, all your TV apps, like YouTube or Hulu or anything like that that you would normally use. Um, so you don't. it can work completely independently of your phone. And uh, it also supports HDR and 4K. And it's, uh, in most cases, even cheaper than the Chromecast 4K that already exists. Um, so yeah, it's just this really cool product that they talked about. I, I honestly can't wait for it to fully launch. It should be um, out in the next few days. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to be one interesting thing to check out to see if it can actually replace a lot of the competition out there. Like, right now, one of the, the main devices people use for this would be the Amazon Fire TV. Um, it's it's a good, it's about $50, $40 to $50, depending on your market. Um, and it's a, a little stick that you plug into your HDMI part, and, and you can watch any uh netflix or anything like that that you would normally use with a remote Mm -hmm. Um, and there's really hasn't been too much competition for that uh in the past there's there's been that roku and and not much else this is finally puts android you know on the tv in a very easy way for a good price in the past if you wanted that you'd have to go with an nvidia shield um, or some kind of third-party knockoff android box and they've never really been great solutions. The Nvidia Shield has been great, but it's very expensive. But uh, a lot of those knockoff devices hasn't been great. Something coming directly from Google that supports HDR and four K for a good price. It's it's probably the best thing that was announced in that event. Sounds like it's going to be good. Hopefully, I can't wait to check check it out. On to topic number
0: one. Technically, yeah. On to our next yeah. topic. <laughs> On to mm-hmm. our next topic the ps5 teardown so last week sony released released a seven minute teardown video of their playstation 5 where an official from sony would just had the playstation 5 on the table and took it apart piece by piece laid everything out for everybody what did you think of it
1: uh i thought it was really interesting um I, w- I was waiting for this, this teardown for a while. Uh, Sony did mention that they were going to do a teardown. Um, and I, I really wanted to see how this thing was put together because it was so large. and you know they, they made a very big uh, statement about how they wanted it to be quiet and very cool, unlike the PS4, which is very loud and <laughs> kind of hot. Um, but you know, and we did see something like this very early on from Xbox, and I was really intrigued by how they decided to put that together. Uh, so I kind of wanted to see Sony's methodology and I was surprised, honestly, by the teardown, by how different their methodology seems to be um, in terms of how to cool the board. And in this case, Sony has done some really kind of uh, new new ideas. They have a lot of new ideas uh, with the PS4 or PS5 that, that we haven't seen in a while or, or really ever, especially in, in a console. And I could imagine this is why the console is... Um, one uh pretty expensive compared to consoles in the past and two as big as it is uh, i think they really proved why it needed to be that big but uh i'm probably being a little bit vague uh how about you 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 uh you got to see it. what did you think of the the teardown i
0: i was very impressed by the teardown um i know they've done teardowns of the past like they did for the ps4 pro but mm-hmm. i was really happy to see the internals i was thinking that maybe we'd have to wait until the system gets launched and then you know some youtuber or someone gets their hands on one and actually takes it apart themselves it was nice to see something from playstation themselves i guess the first thing that kind of caught my attention was the side panels coming off like how easily the side panels came off no tools needed no screws no special you literally just like lift one corner and slide it off, and you could easily take off both panels. And it actually seems like they want people to take off the panels because underneath those they have a dust catching zone for the fan that they have. Yeah. Um, and they said, yeah, you can just pop these off and vacuum out the dust or like take out the dust straight from here. So it seems like they know that okay, systems collecting dust is a problem problem that people have run into in the past, and I guess they wanted to find a way to make it easy. An easy fix for customers yeah. for people that buy a PlayStation, which I thought was very consumer friendly. And also as soon as I saw how easily they popped off those panels, I'm like, Oh, everyone's gonna be customizing those. Like day Absolutely. one. I can see someone taking those off, either like putting a black decal over it or spray painting it, or wrapping it black and just tossing it back on.
1: Like one hundred percent. And that actually brings me to the, to the first question, because I agree with you. I think that's one of the, the coolest things that's so easy to do and, and really kind of, it's these big, large side panels that you could just easily take off, you can vacuum out, but then also for the customization. So we both know you're getting a PS, PS5. ps Like that's, that's going to be a, a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. So let's say every single color is available for those side panels. What do you go for?
0: If every color is available, I would probably go with white. Really? Just so that in the future, I could do whatever I want to it. Mm. Like, I'm sure, let's say, let's say day one PlayStation 5 comes out. I'll probably get, like, a D-brand skin. Yeah. right. I'll probably get either, like, some sort of flat black or maybe, like, a carbon fiber skin to it, and I'll stick that on. And then maybe eventually I'll get tired and I'll take that off and then I'll put some other decal on it. But in terms of, you know, future customization, I feel like white is the easiest thing to customize.
1: Yeah, so even maybe yeah I won't,
0: 100%. Yeah, maybe I won't put a full decal on. Maybe I'll put like a sticker. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like Apple always gives out stickers. Um, like, I don't know. Different companies always give out stickers. You see, I have a bunch of stickers on the back of my laptop right maybe it becomes a thing where now okay games start coming out with with stickers i don't really imagine this happening but you know i could feel people putting all kinds of decals or decal however you prefer to say it on on their playstations to kind of you know customize it and make it their own
1: yeah and it's also a thing where like if at one point you decide you want to sell it or you decide you just want you know a cleaner aesthetic you can just take that off keep it there the way you had it originally, whether it was a collage or whatever you decided to do with it, and just get new ones and stick them on, which is such a brilliant idea, something that's absolutely not available on the Xbox. But I think one thing they both share is that they both have this large real estate uh, on them for customization, which I think is great. Um, And then, you know, another interesting thing about as they go a little bit deeper into the console is the extra port for the, the hard drive or the, nvme storage um which is unlike xbox once again uh, different methodologies between the two it is something you can get from a store you can go and buy uh, nvme uh, nvme drive essentially and just pop it into your playstation as opposed to getting something proprietary like you would need from For microsoft box yeah um, so did that like do you like that idea better than you know the the kind of memory card type uh, solution that Microsoft has. The fact that you can just open it up and put your own thing that you can buy from a store. I definitely like
0: that idea better. Once again, it seems very consumer friendly that it's, it's not okay. You have to buy our proprietary drive. And I was seeing some prices for what they're going to cost. And I guess, mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, Xbox Series S is supposed to cost 249 was it? uh 2.99 2.99, $299. sorry yeah. yeah. xbox series s is supposed to cost 2.99 i'm pretty sure i saw that the expandable storage from xbox was going to cost 2.49 uh 2.19 2.19, $219. $219. Yeah. so your entire system is 2.99 expandable storage is 2.19 which is ridiculous like that's it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous that you can make a console, you can sell a console for two ninety nine, and then you can sell expandable storage for that console for two
1: nineteen. Right. Well, it, it's 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 it, like you mentioned. It is very um, like interesting that how expensive these things are. They they will be very expensive now though. Like like we mentioned earlier on when we were talking about these consoles, is they're using a lot of state of the art technology that rarely consoles use. Like you know. Solid-state hard drives have existed for a very, very long time. And even just last generation, they were still using mechanical hard drives, slow mechanical hard drives, you know, very kind of slow to adopt this idea. And then the moment they adopt uh, the solid-state versions, they go for the most expensive kind possible with the PCI Express 4 um, and the NVMe uh, kind of connection. They're both going to be very expensive right now obviously as time goes on they're going to reduce in price but yeah i would expect anyone who thinks they want to get more storage for their console on day one um, be prepared to spend upwards of 300 dollars, depending on what kind of um, capacity you want on either console um, for for that kind of storage because right now it's just not affordable Um, which is one of the reasons why mark sure anyone the the, he did his initial conference about the ps5 said that they settled on around 825 gigabytes of storage because it was the best they could do while still keeping the price down and even just a small incremental increase in storage will greatly increase the price just because of how expensive those chips are right now
0: one thing that i guess another thing that i like about playstation's approach to this right you said Everything is going to, all this this technology for storage is going to be expensive right now, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, because these systems are coming out right now, and they know their next system won't come out for another, let's say, two to six years, right? Mm-hmm. They have to be as close as they can to, like, the top of the top, to the bleeding edge of technology now. Because they know, hey, over two, four, six years, by the time we're ready to come out with another system, this stuff is going to be old news, so they yeah. can't put just your basic SSD in, because if it's already outdated now, by the time you know two, four, six years come comes around, this is gonna look like a dial-up phone. Yeah. So and so that brings me to what I like about Sony's approach is, because you could buy it from a computer store, right? Right now, okay, what's the best NVMe four? Yeah. Maybe two years from now, there's yeah. NVMe six. And you could still take that and plug that into your PlayStation and see performance upgrades. Because what people were doing with last generation, right? They shipped with a, a regular hard drive. People were able to buy an SSD, put it into their PlayStation 4, and you would get some performance upgrades from it. Not nothing that drastic. You know, your games would load a bit quicker and that sort of thing. But you were still able to get some sort of performance upgrades from updating your hard drive. So I could see the same thing happening in the future for PS5, let's say four years from now, there's now a new standard for SSDs, Mm -hmm. right? Now you can take that, plug that into your PlayStation 5, get some sort of performance boost, and maybe Xbox is still on NVMe 4 with their proprietary hard drives that they've created for people.
1: And uh, yeah, I think that's something that could definitely happen where within the PCI Express uh, 4, Kind of infrastructure, we can see read and write speeds get faster and faster um beyond that like if if the next generation of p c i express comes out, there would need to be like some hardware changes to kind of take advantage of that. I don't know if it would be backwards compatible where it would be a situation where you can you can put that into the system and still get um good specifications that being said p c i express four is probably going to be around for a very 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 long time um kind of like how PCI Express 3 was, it's probably going to encompass multiple generations of consoles. And like you mentioned, the same thing that happened with PCI Express Gen 3, hard drives only got faster as time went on um, to take advantage of that bandwidth that was there. There could be a situation where, yes, current drives are saturating that bandwidth already, but I have a feeling that these drives are only gonna get more efficient. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that Sony and uh, it, it, with the PS5 is gonna be able to take advantage of with the fact that you can just p- put it in. Now, that being said, that still remains to be seen because we've seen from Sony that says, there's going to be a select few uh, drives that will be compatible with the PS5, but I have a feeling that that will change very, very quickly um, as this this standard starts to grow and mature. Um, and also uh, on that, it, it's also going to be another thing where the actual hard drive that's available on both these systems, so the one terabyte that's on the, uh, the Series X, the 512 gigabytes that's on the Series S, and the 825 gigabytes that's on the PlayStation 5 are all soldered onto the motherboard. So the actual base storage of the, the system that you're going to be getting, it's going to be fixed for the lifetime of the console um, that won't upgrade uh, at all. And that's going to be the, the basis of what you're going to be running your games off of, at least from the beginning. Um, but the interesting thing about the where PlayStation kind of goes a little bit above what Xbox is doing is that the base speeds of that soldered um, storage is much faster, uh, both compressed and uncompressed, than the Series X. So it's going to be interesting to see how these play out. Um, yeah, I think th- this is where you're going to start to see uh, a little bit of a price difference. Like, I believe one terabyte for you know the kind of speeds that that Sony is going to need for their drives, we'll, you'll probably see about maybe a 30 to 40, maybe even 50 dollar price difference between what uh, Microsoft is selling their uh, expandable storage at right now. But I completely agree with you. The the good thing about what Sony is doing is that. You can expect prices to decrease as the the kind of infrastructure becomes more mature where that remains to be seen with microsoft because it's proprietary it could be something where even when you know three four years down the line and you can get a playstation 5 hard drive for let's say hundred dollars is microsoft still going to be charging 220 dollars for theirs which would be ludicrous but it's happened in the past we've seen this in the past with memory cards on playstation 2 and gamecube and you know, all that in the past. So that because it's proprietary, they have full control over the pricing. Whereas Sony, you're pretty much in a free market at that point where you can decide how much you want to pay for what you're you're actually getting. Yep.
0: Um, you mentioned the size before. The mm-hmm. PlayStation is a very big system. One thing that was, I guess, cool to see and why it was so big was the size of the heat sink inside of it. Like first yes. of all, the fan that they have is huge. Not to mention the heatsink. I I don't know, from from the guy taking it apart, it looked like it was half of the system to me. Was the heat yeah. sink size. Which kind of you know, they're really trying to channel a lot of a lot of air through this thing, and they're really focused on cooling down the system
1: yeah yeah a very large heat sink it's going to be able to to take a lot of the the heat away from the processor and spread it out over this large area which is great um i did have some worries uh in this this teardown um that we'll probably get into a little bit later but uh the one thing i did notice is i also had worries on the in the xbox teardown of how tightly packed that thing was because what they did uh, the big difference in the playstation 5 methodology and the xbox series x methodology is that Xbox has uh, a motherboard that's split into two. Um, And then they're connected through a cable and on different sides of a vapor chamber to cool uh, both of those halves down. What Sony opted for is one uh, large uh, uh, motherboard where they just plopped a gigantic heat sink down on top of to kind of dissipate the heat across from it. And yeah, I think it it was really cool. And then what was under the heat sink was also really interesting as well. Uh,
0: the liquid metal to cool the SOC.
1: Yes. So the the interesting thing is like liquid metal. It's it's a gallium based um, thermal interface compound. So it's it's essentially the the thing that you put between a heatsink and a processor to get the heat away from the processor into the heat sink. And normally you would use like a paste, and uh, it has you know a threshold of how much heat it can conduct. And put it into the the heat sink, the liquid metal and gallium. You know, it's a it's a metal that has a very low temperature melting point, so it doesn't need to be boiling in order to be a liquid. Um, hence the name liquid metal. And the interesting thing is, it can take away that heat from the processor, it can conduct that heat a lot better than any other paste. Now, as the, when they t- tore this down, there was so much intricacies to where that that processor was. There was like two kind of buffers, like a foam and a rubber buffer, around where the heatsink met the processor to kind of make sure that liquid metal doesn't leak out. And a huge point of that is because it is metal, if it ever does leak off of the die or the the, the the heat spreader of the processor and gets onto the board, it could either short out the board um, because it's metal and it's conductive it and conduct electricity. so it could either short out the board or it can even erode parts of the board which is one of the things that kind of really kind of worried me. But at the same time, this is something that really no one is really doing right now. I mean, there's a couple computers that do this. A lot of people who build their own computers uh, use this, but yeah, it's, it's really crazy to see this on something that's going to be mass produced for a huge audience uh, like this. And
0: this could also kind of, you know, this could, this is somewhat of a reason why I guess production for PlayStation 5 isn't what everyone was expecting it to be, because this process mm-hmm. of you know applying a liquid metal to the SOC and even like you said, it's a very it's contained very well, right? Yeah. How they engineered the containment of this liquid metal is very important, and it takes time. Whether I'm I'm sure they're not doing this by hand. I'm sure there's some sort of you know okay. assembly line that's putting this together, but still it takes time as opposed to just you know, put in thermal paste on a chip instead, so it could, it could be part of the reason, part of the reason why, um, I guess, demand for the PlayStation has kind of surpassed the supply of it, because it's it's yeah. taking more time than usual to produce these systems for mass consumption.
1: And you know, my kind of worry uh, about it. I mean, Mark Cerny and I'm sure his team are very intelligent people, a lot smarter than me, uh, and they know how to design a console. But the one thing for me that kind of worries me about the fact of the the, the methodology that they took, the one large uh, motherboard that's going to be subjected to a certain amount of heat and could flex potentially. Hopefully it doesn't, but it does have the potential to flex. And then have this liquid metal that you know needs to sit in its reservoir to not kind of leak out into the rest of the board to me kind of denotes that this might not have the longest lifespan in terms of consoles, Um, because it's one of those situations where I think there's been interesting kind of, I think it's been blown a little bit out of proportion, but a lot of people have been talking about the fact that this is the first console in a while, both the Xbox and the PlayStation, where the storage is soldered onto them. So, you know, if your storage goes bad, bad, we've seen this uh, happen a couple of times. you could just take out your hard drive and put a new one in. Um, with these kind of consoles, that isn't the case. You, you have the hard drive soldered onto the motherboard. Essentially, you'd have to get it desoldered and a new chip uh, put back in its place, which honestly, I think that's blown a little bit out of proportion because there's going to be repair shops that can do that as long as there isn't any kind of encryption chip or anything like that, like Apple does, where they would restrict you from doing that. Um, so that shouldn't be too much of a problem. But the one thing that does worry me about the the PlayStation is that taking this thing apart with this liquid metal being there, um, if you need to do something that's simple, or even if you want to do something that's a little bit more complicated as the console starts to go on in its years, um, dealing with that liquid metal is going to be definitely a much more difficult proposition. And then the idea that that could potentially leak out at some point, because these, you know, you could potentially be changing the orientation of these consoles i doubt that it will happen but if it does that is a quick way for the console to kind of you know get shorted out or get eroded or even just die um and that's the one thing that does worry me about it but like i said clearly uh the people who engineered this console know what they're doing i hope it's something that does last very long but yeah i I would imagine that when this thing gets revised that's the first thing that's going to go um, so when a playstation 5 slim comes out i would imagine and they can get the heat down from the chip mm-hmm. i would imagine that's the first thing that they're going to change is not have that liquid metal because like you said 100 percent that's going to slow down production a little bit um and you know it's just a, a little bit more of a volatile component but at the same time it is something that we haven't seen before and it's really cool speaking
0: of hot systems there have been a lot of uh reports a lot of talks of the Xbox Series X and how hot it's running. It's been compared from various sources to a fireplace shaft. Yeah. Apparently the memory card, the proprietary memory card has been reported as scalding hot. I think someone a streamer actually was live and they were taking the memory card out. They touched the metal part of it and it burnt their hand. They had to drop it. I guess, what are your takes on the the hidden issues that have so been reported on the Xbox?
1: Like I mentioned, I had similar kind of uh, apprehension when I saw the Microsoft teardown of the console really early on Austin Evans and Digital Foundry. And that was one thing that kind of worried me a little bit. Was So the way the Series X is kind of set up is, like I mentioned, it's got two boards that are connected by a cable attached to a vapor chamber Uh, that's in the middle of them, almost like a sandwich. And it has one fan at the top that is exhausting. So it's sucking air from the bottom and exhausting air at the top. Now, the problem with this kind of idea is that the console is going to be being cooled from the middle, essentially, where that vapor chamber is, where it's sucking up air. So on the outsides of this console, it's going to be very hot. That's where a lot of the heat is going to radiate from. And that's normal with consoles. but. The biggest problem I had with that is that the space between the, the backsides of those boards and the edge of the console where the actual black plastic is that's going to be facing outwards is very slim. So I was worried about the idea of the, of the heat actually being able to, to penetrate fully through the board and kind of exhaust properly. But this news that the console... So there's two sets of, of news that, that, that we were getting. Originally it was that the heat being exhausted from the console was being very hot. Like if you put your hand over the fan, you'd get warm air. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's something that you're going to want to see happen because that means that the console is dissipating the heat that's inside of it. Now, heat around the outside was something that I was worried about. um, And I have seen those reports and it is something I'm still kind of worried about. Although some um, uh, kind of people who've had this uh, specifically, uh, Alana Pierce has spoken about it. uh, Kind of Funny Games has spoken about it. A lot of these people have spoken and said it's not really that noticeable to them they haven't noticed that the console has been getting hot so i don't know if maybe a couple of people just have um defective pre-production units or maybe they're just not used to a console being hot um but you know consoles being hot is a normal thing they they do get hot um my playstation 4 gets very hot uh if i leave it running and you can kind of notice it if you ever go towards like the back of the playstation 4 when it's been running for a long time you can feel that warm air and then if you take off the the hard drive uh, cover and you put your hand near there a lot of the metal parts will be pretty warm not so much to burn your hand i don't know if that's potentially just you know streamers being over dramatic it's kind (laughs) of a part of the job but yeah i I do think it is something to worry about especially with microsoft track record but uh, i still think it it remains to be seen Yeah, the Red Ring of Death with the Xbox 360. But I still think it remains to be seen if this is something you should worry about now or maybe wait until people get their hands on it and see if these consoles are dying. Because heat is just a part of of consoles. It's going to be a part of the PlayStation 5. It's going to be a part of the Xbox Series X. It's all about whether or not it can get rid of this heat efficiently um, to the point where the console doesn't have to shut down. If it was a situation where these guys were saying these consoles were getting very hot, and their games were crashing or that the console was dying and turning itself off, that would be a problem. But so far we haven't heard any, any um, kind of words that that's been happening. So I don't think it's something to be worried about now, but maybe pay attention to see when these things come out, if this becomes a problem.
0: On to our final topic, the upcoming Apple event. So we're yes. recording this on October the 12th. The Apple event is October 13th, Tuesday, October 13th, 2020 this is their big event for the year probably um, the last hopefully. event <laughs> hopefully <laughs> the last <laughs> event was more focused around the apple watch series 6 and the new ipad and the new ipad air that they're updating this is supposed to be their iphone 12 event i guess what are you expecting from this event
1: well, um, I'm expecting iPhones, like a lot of iPhones, because uh, as much as both of, us, both of us liked the last event, uh, I think we both mentioned like it was a little bit, we saw a little bit of disappointment from a lot of people who were expecting iPhones, because normally that's when Apple would unveil them. Um, so I'm hoping you know they, they show all the iPhones in the world <laughs> in this event. And the rumors is there might be quite a few of them. So yeah, I'm expecting to see a lot of iPhones. I don't know if we'll see a Mac. I'm kind of hoping we see that, too. But um, really, the one thing I'm, I'm really looking forward to is seeing a lot of iPhones, at a lot of different price points that uh, is going to entice a lot of people to uh, get new phones this year. There definitely will be
0: an iPhone. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping, hoping more than, than one. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess for the new lineup, kind of what everyone's saying, I don't know if you could call it a rumor, I guess, technically, until Apple confirms it, it's a rumor. But what everyone is saying is there's going to be four iPhone models. There's going to be two. So there's going to be an iPhone 12 mini, which is going to be a 5.4 inch phone. There's going to be Mm -hmm. an iPhone 12 Pro Max, which is going to be a 6.7 inch phone. And then in the middle, you're going to have two 6.1 inch iPhones. One is going to be the iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Pro. Um, Now, This is a rumor, once again, not confirmed. Mm -hmm. Apparently, tomorrow, they're going to only be, I guess, releasing the iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro. So the two middle versions, apparently, Mm -hmm. you know, due to complications with COVID and their supply chain, they actually won't be releasing the iPhone 12 mini and the iPhone 12 Pro Max until November. Mm -hmm. we'll see if that's actually the case. Once again, it's just a rumor. It would be great if they could announce all four phones tomorrow. They release the pre-order date for all four phones tomorrow and they get everyone super excited for it, but it's a possibility that they may only be, I mean, they may still announce all four phones and just say, Hey, these 6.1 inch phones you can get by the end of this week. The other ones you're going to have to wait. Um, But I guess, talking about the Pro models, right? We kind of talked about this on our last podcast, talking about the iPad Pro compared to the new iPad Air, right? Mm -hmm. They had changed the design language of the iPad Air to match the iPad Pro and what is supposed to be the new design for the iPhone 12, right? Now, I guess we were kind of saying, hey, you take... This iPhone, no, sorry, you take the iPad Air and you give it USB-C charging and you say, oh, this data transfer is so much faster and this is better. So does that mean that now your, your iPhone 12 Pros are going to get USB-C charging? Because we know that USB-C is better. You've told us USB-C is better. So now, does USB-C come to your Pro model phones? and now just the iPhone 12 mini and the iPhone 12 those stick with
1: lightning what are your predictions I mean that? I think everything stays with lightning I hope that's not the case but um maybe just the Pro Max if they do that and that has USB-C but right now I could see everything staying with lightning and they just don't mention it they don't mention anything about USB-C USB-C doesn't get mentioned anywhere <laughs> because it would be weird if they're like okay, uh, here's the iPhone 12 Pro Max and it has USB-C and it's so great. It's so fantastic. And then here's the iPhone uh, 12 Pro non-Max and it has lightning. And yeah, that's great too. Like, I don't know where you kind of <laughs> cut that off because essentially what you'll want to do is you'll want to start with the cheaper phones and then move your way up to the more expensive ones. So maybe that could work where, you know, by the time you get up to the more expensive ones, you're just kind of, talking about its its benefits but I, to be honest it's one of those things where i feel like apple can do anything and people will respond to it they're so well they do they communicate the their product so well that it doesn't matter what they say it seems like people are drawn to it Um and in terms of like the fact that two might be be released later than the others unfortunately this is something that we've seen a lot more from apple in the past few years where you know back in the day there were the kings that saying, and you can order it today, um, when they would announce a product. But, you know, in the past few years, as things become a lot more complicated, uh, it, it's been more common where they say, okay, they even did this with the, with the iPad Air, right? Where they're like, okay, we're announcing this today, but you won't be able to get it for like another month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can absolutely see that happening with the, the iPhone 12s. The interesting thing is that the ones that could potentially be delayed are the cheapest one and the more expensive one which i would imagine are probably going to be the two that the people are uh, people are going to be most excited about yeah but um i don't know how about you like if these four phones do turn out to be true which one of them would you see yourself more drawn towards
0: i mean it's all going to depend on price most Mm -hmm. right now i will say i see myself being drawn towards one of the middle ones i can't use a 5.4 inch phone that's just too small for me I really yeah I could see you know the 6.1 inch either the iPhone 12 or the iPhone 12 Pro I mean that's gonna come down to features and the price obviously I guess that's kind of what all phone decisions come down to the price that you pay compared to the features that you get Speaking yeah. of features there was a lot of rumors of the iphones finally getting 120 hertz screens right i guess it was the ipad yeah. pro that originally had pro motion which, yeah. which was their kind of adaptive between one hertz to 120 hertz screen so there are rumors that this was coming to the iphone 12 pros now from leakers It seems like that won't be happening. It seems like iPhone, like Apple, kind of had to make a decision, okay? Either we do 120 hertz, or we do 5G on these phones. And Mm. they thought that people would appreciate 5G more, and it would be a lot easier to market, right? Because most, your typical consumer doesn't know doesn't know that their phone is a 60 hertz screen. They won't be able to tell if it's 60 hertz or 90 hertz or 120 hertz, right? Those yeah. are going to be more of the, I guess, the tech savvy, the more, the, I don't know, the people who care more about those intricacies as opposed to if you say 5G, everyone understands 5G. Everyone understands yeah. that their phone is running on 4G and 5G is better than 4G. Everyone knows it's that. 1G it's 1G better. Yeah. It, exactly. And it's it's kinda, it's marketed everywhere. <laughs> not everyone is marketing 120 hertz refresh like so apparently they've decided to they've decided to not do 120 (laughs) hertz screens they're only going to do 5g in their phones and this isn't even to say all of the iphone 12s probably just the pro models we'll see what turns out to be
1: true from that that's actually an interesting one because well, to, to a certain extent, that's a little bit disappointing to me because I think as we were talking about in the iPad Air versus the iPad Pro in our previous podcast, they were getting really close to having clear, def- clearly defined lines between these products all across our line. So I could, it, it could have even been a situation where you could have had an iPad, uh, sorry, an iPhone mini, an iPhone uh, 12, an iPhone 12 Air, and an iPhone 12 Pro. Like it, it would have made... Although that probably wouldn't have worked in branding, it would have made a lot of sense in terms of what are these, what these phones included. Where an iPhone Air and an iPhone Pro would have been almost identical, except the Pro had ProMotion and the Air didn't, and lidar, um, and lidar. So, like, it's it's one of those situations that if that was coming down to the phones, it would have made so much sense as to you know clearly drawing these lines between their product line. Um, but at the same time. When it comes to phones like I, I love you know high frame rates and high refresh rates on computer screens and all that that's great that's fantastic could care less about uh, about it on a phone um and I know a lot of people really do like it uh, I don't know why, but you know it they you know a lot of people say it makes their phone feel more snappy and whatnot that's great but if it is a situation where it's going to either delay a phone or make a phone more expensive, I don't think it's a good trade off um But at the same time, I feel the same way about 5G. I honestly don't see a huge reason why 5G needs to exist this year. Um, The infrastructure just isn't there uh, in a lot of places, but I do understand that it's kind of future-proofing your phone. And if you're gonna choose between the two, that makes more sense to go with because 5G will be a thing. um, Whereas, you know, 120 Hertz and adaptive, Uh, refresh rates, adaptive frame rates across your phones, depending on which application. It's a lot of words to kind of advertise to somebody. Um, They did it well with ProMotion. I mean, they didn't, it's the same thing they did with Retina, they do these branding really great, but at the same time, I I think a lot of people probably wouldn't care either way. Oh, I was just gonna say another thing um, from this, these rumors that kind of, I find a little bit interesting, and you can let me know. if you find this interesting at all, if you want to go back to the phones, but the idea that they could also unveil an over the ear style headphone um, in this event is that something that you'd be interested in?
0: Uh, definitely not. Really? I had heard about this too, uh, mm-hmm. the over the ear headphones. Um, I think whether you call them their Apple Studio or something like that. Probably, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not really that interested in it. The only time I wear headphones right now are either when I'm gaming mm-hmm. or I'm going for a run. When I'm gaming, True. I have my PlayStation headphones that I wear, my PlayStation over-ear yeah. headphones. Um, when I'm going for a run, I have the like, Dre Beats, Power Beats that kind of wrap around your ears.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Those are the only two times I'm really using headphones. So. I don't really. I wouldn't have a use for it. I also still have my Dre Beat Studios, which still sound amazing, which are over yeah. the ear. So it's like, if ever I don't, I don't have a need for that. Maybe if I, I don't know, maybe if I was commuting, you know, an hour to work each direction, and I just didn't like the earbuds, they were hurting my ears, couldn't get comfortable yeah. with it, and I wanted something over the ear, and I didn't have my Dre Beat Studios then this is something that would interest me but i really don't have a need for these headphones at all
1: so yeah i kind of i kind of agree with you with a lot of situations i have the uh beat solo threes i think they're solo threes i can't remember which ones but i i think those are the most comfortable headphones i've ever owned um they don't work very well anymore i've had them for so long that they're kind (laughs) of uh breaking down a bit but i still use them just because they're so comfortable every other pair of headphones i have give me the worst headache ever like I have a pair of III TMA 2s. They sound great, but the headband on them is so tight that I can't wear them for more than like 10 minutes. And uh, those are the headphones I always go back to. And then on the earbud side, earbuds just annoy my ears to no extent. Like I can't wear them. And I've seen how popular AirPods are. I, so many people in my family have them. And I talk about how great they are, but I just can't use them. So the idea that they could produce an over-the-ear style version of the AirPods Um, sounds great to me. Like it's something that I would definitely be interested in. But then also what also really interests me about it is that if they do this, this kind of makes Beats irrelevant for Apple. I could absolutely see Beats getting sold um, or just kind of going under the radar because if you want over-the-ear and you have an Apple kind of equivalent and you want in-ear and you have an Apple equivalent, Really, they are competing product for product with Beats. Um, And yeah, I could see a situation where Apple has taken the expertise they got from the headphones that both you and I really like and just bring it into their own brand, which would be amazing.
0: But I mean, Beats has been pretty irrelevant for a while. I feel like since Apple bought them and they came out with their AirPods and AirPod Pros, it's like Beats used to be the thing. Right, it used to be everyone had Beats. You'd see, like, I don't know, any person on the subway, any person on the bus, anywhere you go, people are wearing Beats. And then it slow, you slowly stop seeing Beats, and you started seeing AirPods. And then now you only see AirPods. I couldn't tell you when the last time I saw someone wearing Beats was. Yeah. Right. It's that's kind of and it's like what you said. Apple is very good at marketing at promoting their products and making them seem like oh this is the thing to do or the thing to have and as if they do release the i don't know the apple airpod studios or whatever they decide to call them i can yeah. see that being the next thing that everyone decides to go out and buy
1: I was just going to say, I'm not going to lie either. I'd probably be interested in looking into them as well, especially if they're as comfortable as the Solos. I will say, though, the one thing that really kind of made me not want to buy new Beats was the fact that they got rid of the headphone jack and replaced it with only Lightning, which, as someone who doesn't use an iPhone, was very frustrating. But um, hopefully they don't do that with these. I'm sure they would, but if they do make them, hopefully they keep a headphone jack It's
0: going to be all wireless. Oh, man. Come on!
1: Sometimes you just need a headphone jack, man. <laughs>
0: Wires are for boomers. <laughs> Speaking of products, there's also been rumors for a, a while that they're finally going to reveal uh, their own Apple silicone-powered device, whether, whether that be a MacBook or a MacBook Pro or an iMac, that could be coming this event or. If the rumors are true, and then you know they're saving the Pro Mini and the Pro Max for a later release, a November release, maybe they then save the iMac and the uh, you know the MacBook Pro for those dates also, but it would be um like a an amazing one more thing if at the yeah. end of of tomorrow's presentation, they say we also have our MacBook Pro and our iMac, both powered by our A14X Bionic chip that you can pre-order on Friday and get on October the 23rd. That would be an amazing thing.
1: Will it happen? 100%. Who knows? I hope so. (laughs) I really hope so. It's funny because, like, we've talked about this before. I think this podcast is a good balance because you know, I don't use a lot of Apple products. You do. Um, you you use a quite a few of them. But nonetheless, I'm still very excited when they announce new stuff. And uh, I love to see kind of Apple do their thing uh, like no one else does when it comes to releasing new products and, and showing why they're different than everything else that's on the market. And I've been waiting to see why Apple Silicon is going to be better than x86 um you know we've heard bits and pieces from them here and there but i kind of really want to see it in the flesh um and i can't wait for them to announce it and if we've spoke about this in many kind of previous apple events if they show this device as a one more thing that is going to be one of the coolest kind of ways to end it because one it's going to look different i would imagine it's going to look different than any computer that they've made in the past um and that's something that is gonna be even more exciting because Apple hasn't changed the design of any of their computers, whether it's their desktops or their their laptops for a very long time. So to see a kind of new design kind of aesthetic to an Apple computer uh, is going to be something exciting to see. So yeah, I I hope you see that as well.
0: My prediction for whenever they do release these, whether it be tomorrow or next month, I could see them going with like the squared off edges for these two. Right? There is no reason why the next iMac can't just be a giant iPad Pro. Yeah. There's no reason. Right? Like you can fit all of that in an iPad Pro. Just take that, stretch it out, attach a keyboard and a mouse to it. There you go. I could see them doing the exact same thing for their MacBook Pros. Right? Just square off all the edges. I mean, the edges are pretty squared off as it is. Yeah. But take the bezels off the screen. Square off things a little bit more. That way, the design language is the same throughout your Apple. Well, I guess not your Apple Watch. No, yeah. Your iPhone, iPad, MacBook, iMac, all the same looking kind of device. I can
1: see them yeah. doing that. And another really cool thing is when they finally do um, bite the bullet and, and announce these products and kind of show them off, I would imagine. That this is going to be Apple's you know desktop and laptop foray into touch screens and Apple pencil support, which could also be a really, really cool thing if they if they do uh, implement those into their actual mainline computers. It's only going to be like i'm I'm looking at a galaxy tab right now with a pen. It's something that I really like using um but there's so much kind of software that's available on Mac for creatives that I, I would imagine so many people would love to be able to use full-fledged photoshop with the apple pencil and if it comes to a situation where the next macbook has pen support and touch support i would imagine that that would make a lot of people very excited yeah
0: yeah it's surprising that they haven't put touch support into any of their i guess like computing devices yet yeah but i definitely see that coming and like what if in, what if the 12 pro max you can use apple pencil with? with that would be pretty cool
1: that would be really cool especially if they do uh decide to come out with um with a, a new version of the pencil maybe they come out with a pencil that's a little bit smaller a little bit slimmer a little bit easier to carry around maybe with those flat edges can even attach to the edge of an iPhone it could be apple's answer to the note which they haven't had uh, the galaxy uh, note series which they haven't had uh, pretty much ever so yeah that's another really good point um but hopefully this isn't setting expectations for the event too high. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh, did that with the last event and we're a little bit disappointed, but I think regardless, this one is going to be, um, is going to be satisfying just because we are definitely going to see an iPhone. I hope yes, definitely going to see an iPhone. definitely going
0: to see a single iPhone. <laughs> At least one. At least
1: one, hopefully four, uh, if not two. But um, yeah, and I think that's going to, that's their bread and butter. That's what people want to see. And if they do kind of show a little bit more uh, of that bonus stuff, like the headphones and potentially Apple Silicon only will only sweeten the deal, but iPhones are definitely going to be the focus. Definitely.
0: Any uh, closing statements for this episode?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I thought this was a great uh, episode. And also uh, if anyone's listening and has any tips for to to make my headphones not Super painful. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated.
0: <laughs> yeah. Reach out to us on uh, uh Twitter, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Fun conversation. Take it easy, everyone, and podcast land.
1: Catch you in the next episode.
0: Yeah.